This is the Mile High Five podcast with Carl Jensen and Doug Cunnington. We have authentic conversations about the journey to Phi, health, happiness, and some very odd tangents. We interview Phi experts, side hustlers, people on their way to Phi, and those who have reached the other side. Join us every week, and if you want the show notes and links and all that other stuff, head over to milehighfi.com. Hello, world. Welcome to the Mile High Five podcast. I'm Carl Jensen with my co-host. I'm Doug Cunnington. And we have a special guest today. Tell us who you are and how you're related to me. My name is Mindy Jensen, and I am Carl Jensen's much better half. Wow. And what is your podcast? It is slightly bigger than ours, maybe like 1.5x. Not to compare sizes. 1.1x. Size doesn't matter. My name is... Oh, wait. No, I did my name. My podcast is Bigger Pockets Money. We talk about money and real estate and whatever else pops into my head. Probably not asparagus. Has that ever come up on Bigger Pockets Money? We are approaching our 500th episode and asparagus has never come up once. You're wow. missing out. Well, we have stickers now with asparagus on it. Now with have more asparagus. Yeah. yeah, I have. And soon there, there are going to be scratch and sniff stickers, both with before and after asparagus scents, if you know what I mean. I know what you mean. I don't want one of those stickers. Nice. Anyway, today we are going to catch up. We're going to be talking about FinCon, a new car purchase, a big change for Mindy and me, and we're also going to answer some reader questions. But before that, a word from our sponsor. Our friends at ASS, the at-home sphincter scope, are proud to support Mile High Fi. ASS is the DIY colonoscopy solution. All you need is a willing partner and lots of lube. And ASS has a special announcement just for Mile High Fi listeners. Order now and ASS will include eggnog flavored lube with any purchase. Mm. Don't know what to stuff in your partner's stocking? Put some egg in their nog and make the holidays extra special. If you're allergic to cats, fish, or tree nuts, avoid use of this product. This product is not a flotation device. Avoid contact with eyes. Do not microwave. Do not use while operating aircraft. Do not use around open flame. If product causes red bumps, excessive itching, or excitability, call poison control immediately. Go to milehighfi.com slash ASS to learn more. And you guys got a sample of the, the eggnog stuff ahead of time, right? Yeah, it's fantastic. And you... You like that more than pumpkin spice, I take it, right? Much more. I hate pumpkin spice, Doug. That's because he's wrong. What was the, um, what's the like consistency or viscosity of the eggnog lube? So it's interesting you mentioned that, Doug, because I thought it would be like, like eggnog is kind of thick and viscous, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, 5W30 or 50 oil. And it's very, it's not like that. It's very thin and very, very slippery. It's very luby. Mindy, if you had to describe another substance that has a similar consistency, what would you say? Lube, Doug. It's like <laughs> lube. <laughs> okay. That that makes a ton of sense. All right. And then was it, everyone's wondering, was it like eggnog colored or was it clear, like traditional lube that we're used to? It's eggnog colored and it even has <laughs> red and like uh, green sprinkles in there for, for Christmas. Okay. It's amazing. I don't know what they put in there. Dots. But. They're not sprinkles. It's not like a, a chunk. Mm-hmm. It's like glitter. You Yes. it's You know what? It's like Goldschlager, where you see the, the flakes in there, but you don't taste them. Okay. Gotcha. 
Cool. Glad we cleared that up, and I can't wait to get a sample of my own. Okay. Grab a friend. (laughs) Actually, I mean, you don't even need a friend. That's a cool thing. Okay. Who would have thought it would have gone off the rails so quick? You know, anybody listening to this show (laughs) on a regular basis would have known. Yeah. So I haven't seen y'all in a couple of weeks, I think. Thanks, kids. Yeah. Like, I thought I was going to hang out with you guys a bunch, and then something happened. We're going to get into all those details. But what's been going on with you, Carl? Yeah, we have a little bit of division in our household. Uh, We've talked before. Another thing that probably has not come up on Bigger Pockets Money is the bidet. And I installed this, and um, Mindy is... Not a fan. I'm a big fan. And also one of our kids likes it. The other one hates it too. So there's some division in our household. Why don't you like the new device? Is this why you brought me on the show to talk about my bathroom habits? (laughs) No, no. It's just a fun intro before we get into the serious stuff. Okay. I don't like the bidet because it's cold. Mm. You sit down. You do your thing, and then here comes 33-degree water shooting right into your tender bits. No, it's good for you. Do you know who Wim Hof is? Yes. Yeah. I'm not a fan of him either. He's the guy who like goes naked or in a Speedo like in the Arctic Ocean, and now he's like, he has superpowers because cold <laughs> water has so much benefit. This is the same thing for your butt. I'm the Wim Hof of butts, and I'm going to have health <laughs> benefits for many, many years. Have you noticed any positive uh, impact so far, Carl? I increased my squat poundage <laughs> by like 25%. I would like, related. I would, yeah, directly correlation, <laughs> direct correlation. If you're having trouble making it to the next level on your squat, try the bidet. Uh, no, I would like to let you know that I have never, ever in my whole life contemplated doing the polar plunge or going up into the Arctic circle and sticking any part of my body in there. And um, don't you remember the whole thermostat wars? Yes. Do I turn it higher or lower than you? I think you had the car set to 84 on your side. It goes to 90. (laughs) Well, this is a great point. I have seen models out there that will heat the water, it'll heat the seat. Is that something you might be into then, Mindy? I would be far less opposed to a bidet that didn't have ice cold water shooting up my butt. Okay. Carl, what do you, what do you think? Are we going to, I feel like a mediator or something. Can we come to a solution? Carl, can we get some warmer water in there? Can you upgrade? I mean, you really like it, right? Yeah, if we did that, we'd have to put it in an outlet there. And I guess maybe I still could access that because the ceiling is open below, but I'd have to, it would, it would be complicated. I don't know. I'm not sure if I want to do this. This might be an irreconcilable difference in our marriage. <laughs> Why did you get divorced? Bidet. I want the divorce in our, uh, or I, I want the bidet in our divorce agreement. Okay. Oh, that was easy. <laughs> All right. Yeah. And everything's good on my end. So I don't have any toilet issues. Your end? On your your end. (laughs) Nice. God, I've been hanging out with you too long. All right. All right. Yeah. Do you have a bidet, Doug? No. We we do not. Tried one? No. Never have. Please come over to our house. (laughs) Experience this ice cold shot. Check it out. Christmas is coming. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe the ASS people have a private label bidet as well. Maybe they could have a private label one for us. Somebody's 
me an email to my email address saying I want to advertise on your podcast. I have a bidet. <laughs> and I'm like, that's not my show. But you should meet my husband. She's like, oh, okay. Like, Honey, you show? need to yeah. know your audience. Lady, you would have had a much better. Yeah. Well, Carl, we'll we'll link up. You could send me the um, whichever model you have and people could check out the one that you're using. Look, All right. This, Doug, this just come great. over and try it out. Okay. <laughs> try before you buy. All right. So we're going to move into the talking points. I think we beat that one down pretty hard. Okay. FinCon. I just got back from FinCon like a week ago. Luckily, this time I um, didn't catch a cold. I went to bed early. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. But I was very sad you guys didn't make it. So what's the story? Yeah, I'm so sad. It was the morning that I was supposed to fly out. And Mindy was actually in Florida for BP, the BP Bigger Pockets, uh, BP Con, that's what you'd call it, right? Mm-hmm. So you were going to fly to New Orleans and I was going to fly to, to um, and I was going to fly to New Orleans from Denver. And then our younger kid, well, both kids started feeling really, really bad. And they had been kind of sick on and off. And I'm like, come on, you'll do, you'll be better by the time we have to leave. And they weren't. So my next thought is like, are they really sick? Because sometimes they're like, oh, dad, I've got the sniffles. I can't go to school. I'm like, no, get your ass to school. You're fine. But it turns out they were really sick. So we decided to bail. Mindy flew home. I stayed home. Kids went to the doctor. One of them had a respiratory infection. The other one had, I don't know, some kind of virus. But we had to miss it. Super sad because this was the first time since St. Louis in 2013 that we have not gone. And I look kind of look forward to this thing all year around. It's a big meetup with a bunch of old friends that I don't usually get to see otherwise. So yeah, we had to bail. Yeah. Mindy, anything to add there? Um, all of what he's saying is correct. And also I was additionally sad because I use it as a networking event as well as seeing all of these old friends that I see sporadically at best. So mm. yeah, it was it was a bummer, but also if I am going to miss something because my kids need me, that's a really good reason to miss it. Yeah. And how do you assess if the kids are really sick versus like, hey, I just got the sniffly nose. Like I was like, ah, you know, a fever, like you can't, you can't lie about that, right? But what other criteria? So we have two kids and one of them is more willing to go to school when she's feeling slightly bad. And one of them is more willing to stay home at the drop of the hat. Mm. And the one that was the drop of the hat kid was the one that was saying, oh, I don't feel good. I don't feel good. But like nonspecific symptoms and the the more willing to go to school, if even if she feels garbagey went to school and then came back home again. She was at school for about an hour. And um I should I should say last year at FinCon, we flew to FinCon and then our youngest daughter said, I'm not gonna stay with our friends because I'm sick. <laughs> and then went back to her house, to our house. And she was staying with friends around the corner, so it wasn't a big deal. And our friends checked in on her every day and they said you know, I'm not sure she doesn't seem all that sick. Maybe she just, you know, when you're, when you have the flu outwardly, you don't look terrible, but inside you feel like death. So um, I told her, if you get sick, 
I will come home from my conferences. So you can't say that and then not back it up. Mm-hmm. Parenting 101, you got to back it up. Otherwise, they know you're going to be, you're telling lies all the time. So I came home, I took them to the doctor, and the doctor was like, oh, this one has a raging sinus infection. Here's antibiotics. And if she's not feeling a thousand percent by like day, it's a 10 day supply. If she's not feeling like a thousand percent by day eight, then we want her to call me up and I'll give her additional supplies because your sinuses are all over and there's lots of nooks and crannies and mm-hmm. it's difficult to kill a sinus infection. The other one they tested for long mono because she has been so sick on and off for so long and she has all of the symptoms of mono and mono's running around now. But it turns out she's just battling virus after virus after virus. I'm like, maybe don't lick every doorknob you see. Like, mm-hmm. how are you picking up all this garbage? Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's hard, though, to determine who's sick and who's not. Yeah. Just kind of go with your gut. Yeah. How were you, Carl, when you were a kid? Did you try to get out of school or <laughs> would, did you have perfect attendance or what? No, I never had perfect perfect attendance. And I was actually sick a lot. But, um, yeah, probably sometimes I tried to get out of it. I did not like going to school. How about you, Doug? Were you a school dodger? No, I was pretty pretty good. I was pretty nerdy. And I don't know if I had perfect attendance. Definitely not in like elementary, middle school. I think I got like colds a lot. Um, but I was probably pretty good in high school. Yeah, cool. Yeah, pretty good in high school. Um, yeah, so I, I ended up going to FinCon. It was a blast. Definitely missed you guys. And it it was, you know, you let me know that morning you were going to come pick me up, head to the airport. So I was like, oh, no, Carl's going to have to, he's going to bail. I'm pretty sure he's not going to be able to make it. So everything was fine. I was able to, you let me know in plenty of time. So I was able to get to the airport on time. Everything was good. But as I'm going, I'm like, ah, I've I've been to two FinCons up until that point. We were uh, connected at the hip. Uh, I'm your better half is what everyone was saying. So they're like, oh, where's your worst half down there? But the the thing is, I realized, oh, no, like I don't have my uh, my sidekick or I'm the sidekick and I'm going to have to make my own friends. It was really scary. <laughs> People asked me about it even. Did you manage? <laughs> I did. Yeah, everything was fine. Okay. Turns out you were holding me back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, next time we'll I just... I feel you, Doug. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Damn. So... So yeah, but but really I was like, oh man, this is going to be a little bit different. But you have, like I, I've met a lot of people, I've hung out with a lot of the folks over the years. So like I know plenty of people, but they're like, oh no, heard about Carl. I guess you were probably letting every, everyone knew that both of you guys were not going to be there. So the thing that was really making me, and not panic, I knew I had enough time, but we were, we were going to be on a panel together and there's five people total two people were not going to be there. So I was like, I'm going to have to figure this out. But luckily, we worked it out. But I I knew I was probably going to need to spearhead and figure that out, um, which we'll, we'll back into some of the details. But it was a good conference, different energy than the last couple, which since you guys have been to so many, is that how you found it too? Like every year, there's like a different vibe depending on the city and the hotel and all that kind of stuff. What do you think? Um. A couple of years, like right after COVID, uh, so what, 2020, they didn't have a conference. 2021, they did. 21 was a very different vibe than 2020. Everybody was, you know, wearing masks and nervous about COVID transmission and all of that. Um, so, yeah, ever since COVID, it's been kind of a different vibe. Mm-hmm. 
How was this different? So it, there were more activities like outside of the hotel. So we, it was in the Sheridan, which is like a block or two from the French quarter in new Orleans. So people could walk to like hundreds of restaurants and bars and just like get out of the hotel where like last year, it was in Orlando and you couldn't walk to anything. And it was kind of like in an island isolated from everything else. There was plenty of stuff in the hotel, but everyone was just kind of like there all the time. The other thing is the, the conference uh, talks and sessions were on the first like three or four floors of the hotel, but on different floors. So there wasn't like a main congregation point and people didn't like hang out at the hotel bar as much where like in Orlando, it was like everyone's at the hotel bar right there. Cause there was no one, nowhere else to go. So those couple things kind of made it feel more like decentralized and, you know, you would still bump into people, but it's like the, the expo was smaller than normal. So it felt a little more crowded, which might be good. Cause like in Austin, for example, it felt empty because it yes. was right after COVID, right? So there's this huge space. It's only like a quarter full at its most full. So yeah, different vibe, but it fit what I was trying to do, um, which is not drink too much, uh, stay out too late. And um, I wanted to make sure I got enough sleep. So all that, it, it was just more chill. It's just more chill, I think. Yeah. Nice. Do you think it was better or worse or just different than the past two that you've been to? I think just different, just different. Um, when, when we were in Austin, I kind of remember you kind of had to walk like pretty far to, there were a couple restaurants close by, but you kind of had to walk pretty far or like get a um, Uber Lyft or whatever to get to some other place. So I like the walkability of like a place like new Orleans versus like having to go pretty far to get anywhere. Um, but yeah, just different. Maybe I slightly preferred it because I came back and I didn't feel so run down, but that was just me going to bed earlier. <laughs> what was the most interesting conversation or person that you talked to there? I, that, that's a tough one. I, so no, I'm, I won't try to sugarcoat it. There was no standout specifically. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I didn't come back and I was like, Oh shit, I'm glad I talked to that person. Um, but everything was fine. There was nothing negative, but you know, it's hard to wow me. Right. I'm sure, I'm sure they're all so good too that they, uh, it's really hard to stand out in that crowd. They're all tied for first place. There were, so there were a couple people, um, that I met for the first time. So a guy named Jamie, who I've interviewed um, for my podcast a couple times. He's from the UK. He's working with a company called Lasso, which is Andrew uh, Feberts. Is that how you say his last name? Yeah. Um, Andrew's uh, software company. It's like a affiliate link management and analytics company. And... I met someone named uh, Jason Hendricks, who I know from my other show as well. So just some people that I have never met before. Those were pretty memorable. Like uh, Jason came from Hong Kong, right? So he's a, 
he's from the US, but he's been working out there for years. So some people like traveled around and then do you remember the the lady with the border collie last year, Denise? Yes. So she came back um as well. So got to see her. Unfortunately her dog didn't come this time. But she's very nice. Got to hang out with her. So just some people you don't see often, that sort of thing. Cool. Yeah. And I was supposed to participate in a podcast recording with you and a panel. I, we were not there. How did those go? Very good. Very good. So I interviewed J.D. Roth and Paula Pant about sabbaticals. So they both both took sabbaticals in the last year. Paula went back to school and J.D. is he, he was trying to be idle and not do too much. He went on a month-long cruise to uh, Norway and I think Iceland. Um, and I think, I mean, he's trying to not make it a sabbatical and like actually just like chill out. So really good conversation there, which will come out in a couple weeks or so. And well, we're going to be able to use that information for our book as well, because there's going to be a section on sabbaticals. So worked out really well. And one thing I noticed was the podcast booth, Steve Stewart's uh, podcast setup over there. It was booked solid. I think in years past, he's told us, hey, we might be able to work out some extra sessions or something like that. Uh, it was 100% filled. So people are utilizing and, and really taking advantage of his setup there. Wow. And how about the panel that we were, Mindy and I were both supposed to be on, but weren't? Did you have people fill in and who filled in? Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, so a lot of people volunteered. Some people had to leave early. Um, like Brad Barrett was going to sit on the panel, but he was um, his flight was a little early, so he couldn't do it. And then uh, Joel Larsgaard was also potentially going to help out, but he had to fly out early. But we had Jordan Grummet, Doc G from Earn and Invest. He was the facilitator, which he's just uh, an outstanding speaker. Like he's a legit paid speaker, both in the in the personal finance space and as a MD and he, he did awesome. So I just transferred the notes over to him that I created and he, he was good to go. He put his own spin on it and we did miss you, Carl. Cause I like there, there's a, there's a, a silliness that comes out that like lightens the whole mood. And it was a very dry crowd in, in that particular session and even for the the main keynote the opening keynote one of the speakers i forget his name he was telling some jokes and it was like you could hear a pin drop like no one laughed and he was like whoa tough crowd so i mean it was like a more serious vibe <laughs> now that i'm thinking about it it like he, he was we trying yeah they were all weren't sad there. yeah yeah um but but the panel turned out great um it ended up being just um Andrew Gencola, Paula Pant, and myself on the panel, which was totally fine. Apparently on panels, it's pretty common for some something to happen. Um, and three people is enough. And with all the you know people flying home early, that's one thing I noticed. A lot of people left on Saturday afternoon. Many, uh, many FinCon veterans left a little early. I flew out on Saturday afternoon, so... What I'm hearing you say, Doug, is that I'm irreplaceable. Irreplaceable, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, it turned out well. I, I was actually pretty nervous just because, like, the I, I was the smallest podcaster in the panel and the group. And, you know, if you guys were there, I know you guys a little bit um, 
a little bit more. We hang out more. So it probably would have made me feel a little bit more comfortable, but was a little bit nervous. Everything was fine. And it was, it was a friendly uh, crowd overall, but uh, yeah, not too many jokes. I, I tried to say a couple things and maybe a smirk here or there, but yeah, hard group, really tough group. If we talk again, we'll have to get like a uh, a better time slot and maybe pass out some ASS products or some beer to lighten up the audience. <laughs> some Colorado products. Yeah, that's yeah, something, something. <laughs> and it's in Atlanta next year. Yeah, it's your homeland. It is, yes. Oh, can we sleep over at your mom's house? You can, yeah. There's plenty of room. You just have to drive like an hour and a half or more. So That sounds great. Not, not ideal. That's way better than sleeping at the hotel. Yeah. <laughs> My my biggest takeaway, and it made it very tough. So it was the very last day, or our panel was the very last day, at like one of the last time slots. And I typically like start losing my voice. I stay out too late, drink too much, don't sleep enough, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I went to bed early, didn't drink as much. I got like seven or eight hours of sleep each night. So everything was fine. And like I said, I think I actually enjoyed it better, even though I felt like... Um, you know, maybe I was missing out. I, I knew I wasn't going to miss out because when I've stayed out before, usually um, you just stay out much later and then you're just much more tired the next day. So I'm, I'm slowly learning. It's like I'm growing up. Nice. Yeah. Are we going to FinCon in Atlanta next year? Is that directed at me or Mindy? Uh, both. <laughs> both, I guess. Yeah. Probably. I so. yeah. yeah. I kind of feel like we have to go because we miss this one. So now I want to like make up for it. Be that much more excited? Yeah, we probably should have had this conversation when they had discount tickets. Yeah, yeah. whoops. <laughs> when I I didn't get the discount ticket, I was like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna get it, and I actually like sent it to someone I know, and then sh she bought a discount ticket. But I was like, oh yeah, I'm not 100 percent sure. I feel like the price went up or something like that. Yeah, it used it to be like 100 bucks. Now it's 250. Okay, yeah, yeah. I was like, it's a little little more pricey, but yeah, it's like a trip back to Atlanta. So yeah, I could visit family and all that. 99% sure. Cool. So, right off. All right. So Carl, you have big news. We're probably going to do a whole new episode on this, but something is new in your life. Yeah, we made the, uh, we bought the most expensive car of our entire lives. I had been casually looking at Tesla's, not planning to buy one until next year, but then two things happened. Our plan was always to give one of our old cars to a friend, to some friends who needed another car, and uh, their sense of urgency might have increased a little bit, so I wanted to be able to give that to them. Uh, at the same time, Tesla started having all these crazy inventory discounts, so they I logged on one day, and they're like, oh, it's $5,000 off the price, and I can't resist a discount, which is probably not the right way to think about it. So I pulled the trigger, and we now own a red Tesla Model Y. And you were one of the first ones to take a ride in it, Doug, when we went up to Breckenridge. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so comfy. And I like the color. I like the color a lot. I was picturing you getting, like, maybe one of the, I don't know, the like the silver or the blue or gray or whatever, like one of the more common colors. But I'm glad you got the red. Yeah, that was a big source of, another source of conflict in our marriage. Because I, I wanted the white. I just like playing cars. They don't get so hot in the winter. And, Mindy's like, I hate white. If you get that, I'm gonna, I'm gonna dismember you in your sleep, and and then divorce you <laughs> after that, and da da da. So I'm like, I, I can't get the white one. I don't want to be dismembered in my sleep. Yeah. But, uh, so there we go. We ended up with a red one. <laughs> I didn't want the red one either. Yeah. What? You said. 
It's I said I hate it less than the white. Oh, I man. wanted the blue or the charcoal one. God, okay. Our marriage might not survive this recording. Might not. Charcoal is all right. The, the rough thing with the white around here, it'll look so dirty all like all through the winter. All the time. Yeah. True. And we don't wash our cars. Are you going to start washing that one? I am going to. I will wash. It's already had one bath from our- Yeah, he brings the, it home from Breckenridge. Breckenburg. It's all covered in crap. It was pretty muddy. Yeah, yeah. it was yeah. pretty muddy. So- um, on the way to Breckenridge, something alarming happened. Yeah. We're, I, I, I think it had 49 miles on the odometer and we're driving and you're in the passenger, passenger seat dog. And all of a sudden, wham, we hear this big bang and something that hit the windshield and cracked the windshield, which was not cool. Cracked windshields are pretty common here in Colorado, but I didn't expect it to come after 49 miles of ownership. And a Tesla windshield is not cheap to repair. I think like eight hundred to a thousand bucks to get replaced. So I was not happy. When I was getting insurance on this car, I called up our insurance company. Shout out to Liberty Mutual, um, and I said, "I would, you know, can you give me a quote on this?" He said, "I don't know what you guys do, but you have the lowest insurance rates of anybody I've ever seen." And I'm like, you work at an insurance company. You should be able to figure out why our insurance <laughs> rates are so low. But I don't know. I guess you can't. Um, so our he's like, for $9 more, you could have windshield replacement insurance. I'm like, yeah, I want that. I don't. This was before the windshield broke. I'm like, yeah, I want that because I know that windshields break all the time. I've had, I, I don't even know how many. How many cars do we have now with broken windshields? Like All of them. Three of four? <laughs> no, I don't think Claire's has a broken windshield yet. Knock on wood, because I'm sure she'll come home with it. Oh, my windshield got broken. So uh, I wanted that. We added it, and then he calls me up. This was We got the insurance before we got the car, because you have to have insurance to pick up the car. And then he he sends me a note. We were driving up here, and the windshield broke. I'm like, are you kidding me? It was... It was so fast. It was so fast. <laughs> and I I took a picture and uh, sent it to Elizabeth and she was like, oh, was he like, was he following close or like, was her, is it Carl's fault somehow? And he wasn't, he was like super far back. We're in the right lane. There was no, like nothing weird going on. And it Why wasn't- are we in the right lane? You're in a Tesla going up the mountains, be in the left lane and fly. We just, All merged, of our cars. We just, we just merged on the highway. It wasn't his fault. Okay, but no, but he should be in the left lane because all of our cars, you get in the, you go up the mountains and you're like, I got to tailgate this truck because I can't go faster up these mountains. They have no power at all. And he's talking about how the Tesla has all this power. I want to drive that up in the mountains now so I can finally (laughs) fly up in the left lane. Yeah, yeah. No, we literally just got on the highway. It was, um, it was like the, if you were writing a movie, this is how it would happen. It's like he merges on and then it's like, and then it's spider webs out. Okay. Uh, how was the rest of the stuff? I know you were excited about the FSD, which is the full self-drive. Is that that's what? Yeah. Full, full self-driving is what Tesla erroneously calls it. It is their autonomous car software and hardware suite. And uh, it doesn't, well, sometimes it does real good, but other times it doesn't do so good. Remember, Doug, we were driving in downtown Breckenridge and, there, I was kind of looking at the screen to make sure the car was paying attention. And luckily, you were paying attention because there was a, a, a pedestrian in the crosswalk. And I think the car had decided that it wanted to run her over because it 
want, it was going to go for it. And you were like, Hey, watch out. And maybe the car would have seen her. I'm guessing it would have, but maybe I'm just being foolish too. So, I don't know. Yeah. It, it was pretty close. It didn't look like it recognized her at all. <laughs> yeah. But, but then we drove from like uh, Longmont all the way. We drove through Boulder and we drove to get on in 36 and it did find the hallway. We didn't have to intervene once, but that is more highway, like two lane divided highway, which is a pretty easy, much easier than city driving. Also zero pedestrians. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mindy and I had an incident. She actually screamed at the top of her lungs when we were turning onto the street by our house. Do you remember that? You did not like the car's decision. The car pulled out and someone was accelerating. Oh very my fast. God. Yes. Yeah, here we go. Coming out of our drive, our neighborhood, there's that street is lined with trees. Don't line streets with trees, because then when oh, you're yeah, coming out of tough. the neighborhood, you can't see squat. Anyway, we're sitting there. I always wait, because I can't see anything. And the car's like, I'm going. And I was like, ooh. And then it like it slams on the gas, gets into the intersection, and it's like, I'm good. I'm like, wow, what are you doing? Stop. Go. Like, if you're going to go, nail the gas. If you're not going to go, like, if you're going to pull in front of somebody... Don't pull in front of somebody going two miles an hour. Yeah. I do not like FSD. Yeah, I don't think it works that well. It was, you, you tried it a bunch um, right when you got the car, right? When we were in Breckenridge and it was like gravel roads, not ideal. You knew it wasn't going to do well. <laughs> and and then in town in Breckenridge, it was doing weird stuff. Yeah, it didn't. Well, what was most disappointing is on the nice paved road out of Breckenridge, whenever, I think they call these lane drift issues, whenever there was an exit ramp, it would, we were going straight, so we weren't getting off on the ramp, but the car would drift over and start following the lane markers on the exit ramp and then catch itself or I disengage it and pull the car back over. But it doesn't do that in all places. I think that might be some kind of mapping issue, but still it's an issue. The car cannot drive itself if it's going to pull shit like that. that and that's the thing the car cannot drive itself so we were driving home uh this weekend and i asked carl if he had the full self-driving package which is something you have to pay tesla for you get it what three months for free yep and he's like i didn't buy it i mean you don't let me use it anyway well of course i don't let you use it anyway it's gonna kill us and be dead i don't want to be dead so you can drive it all you want when you're by yourself but i don't want that on when i'm in the car i have control issues it's a hard enough to let him drive by himself true i think um it needs a lot of work <laughs> it, it does work. i really really want it to work because we're tesla shareholders i don't know if carl's ever mentioned that a thousand times but um i really want it to work because then the stock will go through the roof i want to be supportive but elon you've got a long way to go Sorry, bud. I was talking to Pete the other day, and he said it works really well on the highway, which we were using it on the highway on the way back from Breckenridge. And I felt pretty good about that. Like, I think if you're on the highway a lot, and Pete said that he had been on the highway uh, for the majority of his miles, it does a pretty good job most of the time. Yeah. Just go straight. No turning. <laughs> Uh, nothing complicated, no pedestrians. It was it was okay. I felt comfortable on the highway. So here's a question. If I am driving the Tesla on the highway, full self-driving is on, 
and I've, I'm paying attention. I've got my hands on the wheel like you're supposed to. And it's not stopping. It's not stopping. And I want to give it the opportunity to, you know, learn and all this stuff. And it rear ends the car in front of us because they slam on their brakes, as sometimes you do in rush hour traffic. Who's to blame? Is Elon Musk going to pony up the, the money to fix both cars? Or is that a case where I should have taken over? Oh, that stuff happens all the time. I think it's killed multiple people. And uh, what Tessa says is you're supposed to supervise it. So it's your fault, not the car's fault. Okay. Uh, a bunch of people are contesting that in court as we speak. So we'll oh, see really? if... Uh, okay. You know, if you're calling it full self-driving, it's not partial self-driving. And if you are supposed to be supervising it, then I think it should be partial self-driving they should call it rsd really shitty driving people wouldn't have any expectations and elon that's coming from a big fan drunk teenager driving dtd and that's why i was talking to carl yesterday i'm like you know i have figured out why i don't particularly like fsd because i just got done teaching my teenager how to drive i'm it's like i'm back at day one again where i'm like oh step on the brake step on the gas doesn't so, learn. There though. we go. Yeah. Okay. What's next? Uh, Doug, so we have some exciting news. Well, there's a plot twist to this, which I didn't tell Mindy about, which might slightly no. al- alter the news. So <laughs> 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 this ball point was uh, Mindy and Carl complete their last project. And I, I hope it is, but we actually have one more big project after this, which is a railing project. And I had someone all lined up. Now I've contacted him like two or three times and he is ghosting us. So we either have to do it ourselves oh, now no. or we'll find, find somebody someone else, else to, to do the thing. But We will find somebody else. Hey, if you are in the northern Colorado area and you do metal welding and can do a railing for us, reach out. Carl at milehifi.com. Yeah, and that is serious, too, if uh, you know anyone who does this kind of work. Please reach out, because this guy is not returning our... That was the husband of somebody who works in my office. I know, and he threw his price out there. I'm like, yeah, I'm totally good with that. It's your own time, whenever you want to do it. And I just had a question for him about the install. I'm like, hey, I'm redoing my floor. I want to make sure I do this properly so you can get the railing in. And he didn't respond. So I'm like, hey, are you still interested in this job? And nothing. There's a recent South Park episode. It's like a long episode. I'm not going to spoil the whole thing, but they have a, a big theme is handymen just ghosting people, charging huge amounts of money. And like, that's the new place to be if you want to be like an entrepreneur or um, just have like a, a profitable business. Cause like, it's exactly what you're saying. You're like, oh, I'll give you 50 more bucks. And he's like, I don't give a shit. Like, uh, I'm going to do some other job. Like, good luck trying to find somebody to do your railing. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's, uh, it's depressing. I, we had, a, we have a pool, which is in shoddy condition and I got someone over there and he's like, you know, I, I guess I could think about doing this, but really I'd rather do commercial projects because yours is going to be like 20,000, which I think is exorbitant. And I can make a couple hundred from a commercial project. So couple hundred thousand i'll see if i can get it on the schedule like fuck you i don't want to i'll just i'll take the pool out before i pay you to do it but anyway assuming we are able to find another railing person we are again contact us if you have these skills so i don't have to do it myself uh you won't we're like 99.5 percent done with our last project i'm going to walk home from lowe's which is um on the way back from our studio here pick up some more supplies and we should be pretty much done with it. 
this week, and then we're kind of done with all the major house projects. We still have lots of little odds and ends, but yeah, that's it. Yeah. We were talking to our friend Eric the other day about all the things that are left to do. And it's no big projects. It's the little stuff, the stuff that you notice when it's not done, but you don't notice when it is done. So you install trim. You don't notice when there's trim up, but you notice when there isn't trim up. And it takes time to do that project. So most of the trim is up, but then after you install the trim, you have to run a bead of caulk on the top of the trim by the wall to really finish it off. Again, you don't notice when it's not there, but you notice, or you you notice when it's not there, you don't notice when it's done. So it's a bunch of stuff that like, once you finish it, nobody ever notices. Mm-hmm. So, and you know, you put this bullet point in here and then I put a comment. Uh, is this for real? So, I mean, we have heard this before, Carl. So That's what everybody says. <laughs> yeah. Well, so what, what makes it different this time? Well, we still have other projects, Holy but now shit. there's, uh, I kind of wanted to get this done. Like our, our master bathroom adds value to our life. So does our, the girls' bathroom, it adds value to their life. And there still are other projects to do, but like the fence, like I don't give a shit about the fence. If I don't get to that for three years, it'll be fine. It might fall over in the neighbor's yard, in which case we'll have to prop it back up again. But yeah, again, it, it, yeah, again, we've we've had to do it a couple times. <laughs> Thank you, eighty mile per hour winds. But yeah, I feel like we're kind of at the end. We can sit back and relax. Should we be able to get a railing person in there, and mm-hmm. then that's kind of it. Like we'll, like there's little trim pieces to do and maybe taking the pool out at some future date, but yeah, we're kind of done. I just want to do other stuff at this point. Yeah. So what's next? What's next? I got to finish this book that I've been promising to get done for a long time. Uh, I'm going to get my web comic. I've been thinking about that for so long and I've got so many good ideas for it. Really interested to get that done. Just spending more time at the gym and walking around mindlessly. All right. Well, that sounds good. Yeah. Let's knock out the book first. And then we could take them down one by one. Yes. All right. Don't buy another house, please. No, no more houses. Uh, uh, Wife, are we going to buy another house? No, you're not allowed to use any real estate agent other than me. And I'm not selling you another house. But I get my real estate fix by helping other people buy houses. I get to look at a bunch of houses. Oh, what if you did this? What if you did that? What if you did that? And then I don't do anything. Okay, we'll keep you honest. I'm excited. I think you're going to have more free time and just, uh, you know, be a little more idle. Yeah. That'll be good. It's going to be awesome. So we actually have a real ad. This is uh, from Ghostbed. And I actually have one of their pillows. But thinking about sleep, which we have an upcoming episode about sleep, I recalled that Carl, you and I, we shared a hotel room. I think for the first first time, it was at a Camp Fi in Rocky Mountain. Is that right? I thought it was at Economy was in it? Cincinnati. Okay. I wasn't sure which one. Were you nervous the first time you slept with me? I was a little bit. I, I like my peace and quiet. I didn't know if you would snore. I didn't know if I would fart. I don't want to inconvenience you. I didn't know if you would be messy. Well, I'm more of a slob, so I was worried that my slobbiness would affect you. So yeah, I did have a little bit of anxiety. How, how about you, Doug? I was pretty nervous. You know, we we flew out there together. So the, the whole flight, I was thinking, oh, I'm going to have to sleep with this guy later, you know? What's going to happen? Do you know what I'm going to ask you I'm, in a second? Yeah. So... The cool part, 
And something we both worked on is sleep. And like I said, we have an upcoming episode on sleep where we dive into a lot of the details. But we both like it to be pretty cool when we sleep. And this is one of the products I actually have from Ghostbed. It's their foam gel pillow. So I like a, a foam pillow and it has the gel to keep my head cool. I already don't have hair and the gel helps it stay a little bit cooler. But in that hotel room, I remember it was, it was quite cold and we, I think we turned it down as far as it would go. And you're just a chilly sleeper. Is that right? Yes. I love it cold as well. Okay. And it it was fine. I think you farted a lot. I snored a lot, but um, the yin and yang, it all worked out. Now, Mindy, do you remember what it was like the first time you slept with Carl? It has been so long. (laughs) No. Okay. That's that's probably good. Thank God, Carl. She doesn't remember. I'm sure it was amazing. (laughs) But yeah, I am a very cold sleeper as well, meaning I'm cold. I want it to be warmer in the room. I, I remember that hotel experience too. And I did I have that same pillow. And I remember this was the one part where it got kind of awkward, Doug. So I've got the pillow and I bring it and I told you about it and how it cooled and how much I liked it. And uh, I woke up in the middle of the night and rolled over and I feel a lump. And it was you. I'm, I'm like, hey, Doug, what's, what's, what's going on here? Like, this is kind of strange. Like, it was a you, big lump, though, right? Is that what, what you thinking? It was a pretty big lump, would you say? It was a pretty big lump. Like, did you just get in the wrong bed because you were drinking or what? And then you're like, no, no, I just uh, I wanted to try out that pillow. And that is a fictitious story. You never did that. But the one thing I did do, which is true, is I let my kid try it and she has seized it. I can't have the pillow back because she's like, Dad, this thing is so awesome. Yeah. So now I, I have to get another one because she has commandeered it. You can save 50% with the coupon code MILEHIGHFI. That's site-wide. Save 50%. And you can head over to ghostbed.com slash MILEHIGHFI. We'll put a link in the show notes and description. And to be clear, this is a real ad, right? It's a real ad, yeah. That's wow. <laughs> yeah, a real ad. It's hard to tell. It's an actual <laughs> company that makes actual products. Doug, do they only make pillows? No. They also have mattresses that also have cooling properties as well. They have bed frames, bedding materials, other sleeping accessories. So yeah, they do the full, the full range of your you know, sleeping needs, whatever they might be. Yeah, sleep is really, really important. I would know because I never get any, and it's probably because we don't have a ghost bed, Carl. Well, maybe we have to get one and try it out. Didn't Ramit tell us we have to spend more money? Yeah. That cooling mattress? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, I'm not sure, but I they may have a, a heating mechanism. <gasps> I'm not 100% sure. Hot on one side, cold on the other? But they do have twin bed situations, and I, I'm only interested in the cooling personally, so I didn't look at the heating, but I know a lot of the systems do that. So, uh, you know, you'll have to check, but they have a lot of stuff over at GhostBed. So. Well, thanks for only looking out for your needs, Doug, yeah, and not check. mine. <laughs> thanks for not caring about my bedroom needs, Doug. That's a, that's a good cut. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> wow. Okay, moving on. To close out, we're, we've been at this for a while. We have four listener questions, which we'll get through quickly. These you were going to say we have four listeners. <laughs> I, I don't know if we have that many. I think the same guy might have submitted three, and then we made one up. So these are uh, No, no, these are all real questions. They are from our Facebook group. We will put a link to that in the show notes. The first one comes from James, and he says, The general consensus with the FI crowd, myself included, is to invest in index funds with a high or even 100% allocation to stocks. I know Go Curry Cracker is a big fan of that. Another pillar of FI is to never time the market. 
But as we get closer to requirement, retirement, it seems prudent to take some chips off the table. How do I square up the desire for less volatility while at the same time not screwing up the timing of the decision? And I think, Mindy, you had an answer to this. I've got a very long answer for this. So, uh, James, uh, buckle up and get comfy. So, first of all, I am assuming my answer is is under the assumption that you are retiring based on the 4% rule. And I would like to invite you to read the entire original article from William Bengen, originally published in, I think, 1994, maybe 1996, in the Journal of Financial Nerdery or whatever it was. If you don't have access to this, can't find it easily online because it's really hard to find, email me, mindy at biggerpockets.com, and I will send you a copy. I have a PDF on my computer that I will send to anybody who wants it. Um, Just say, please send me the 4% rule article and it'll zip it on over to you. It's a fascinating article. He didn't just make this up. He did ridiculous amounts of research into the 4% rule. And it's taking into account all the past scenarios from 1994 and before. And then Michael Kitsis went in and said, I'll pick up where you left off, Bill, and went through to, I think, 2008. Eight, um, he's probably updated his research, but the article that I read was f- in 2008. So both of those, and I'll send you both links, both of those articles are a really, really strong proponent for the 4% rule and how, I can't say rock solid, but rock solid it is. It is a really great foundation for your retirement. And that is predicated on 60-40 stock spots. Um, so that is something that you need to start getting comfortable with if you're going to retire solely on the 4% rule with no other sources of income. Do we know anybody that has retired only on the 4% rule with no other sources of income? Like there's not that many people who do yeah, that. Yeah, just one or two. Um, what is your level of risk tolerance and how many buckets do you have to pull from? Carl and I have a fairly high level of risk tolerance, and we have a lot of buckets to pull from. In addition, I'm still working, and I'm a real estate agent, and there's a lot of things that we could do should something happen. So we are 100% stocks in real estate and 0% bonds, right? Yes. Um, Bryce and Christie, what are they, Millennial Revolution? Yes. Wrote an article called Quit Like, Quit Like a Millionaire, wrote a book called Quit Like a Millionaire. And in their book, they outline what they have done. They have a cash cushion. So if the stock market drops and right after retirement, which it did when they retired, uh, they still have two years of, or five years, read the book, I can't remember, um, of cash. So they're not in an imminent, I have to pull money out of the stock market at the time when my portfolio is the absolute worst it's ever been. Um And be honest with your level of risk tolerance. Like, how did you feel when the market dropped 30% in March of 2020? Did you have enough money in the stock market for that to like really make an impact? Were you freaking out? Because we were going along. February 19th was like the highest it's ever been. And then March 14th, it started dropping and it dropped 30% in like a month or something like that. And then it popped back up. 
But when it was down, you didn't know it was just going to pop back up in what, like three months, six months? Like I can't remember when it was exactly, but it came back up really quickly. That doesn't always happen. If it was down for 50%, how would you feel? If you have the heebie-jeebies, you know, bonds will help smooth that over. But also, I think a lot of people who are in this this retirement position, this early retirement position, see the market as like we've had such a high run for so long. I've been making money. I've been making money. And then it drops and you freak out. I think a lot of people are going to start freaking out. So what level of reassurance do you need? And this is not an answer you're going to come up with in one minute. This is going to be you know, a weeks long, a months long conversation that you and if you have a partner that you and your partner need to start having discussions about, you know, what would we do if the market dropped 10%, 20%, 50%? If it drops more than 50%, like there's a lot of other things going on. I don't think the bond market is going to save your butt when the stock market drops 50%. But, you know, what is your level of job security? What is your level of being able to go back and get another job? If you're a teacher right now, you can always go back and get another teaching job. Um, If you're a brain surgeon, maybe you can't go back and get another brain surgery job because you've been out of the brain surgery market so long that you've lost all your skills or whatever. So, you know, how easy would it be for you to get a job to cover the difference while you're waiting for the market to recover? I do believe the market will recover with whatever drop we see whenever we see it. Uh, I believe in the long-term viability of the United States stock market, and I believe that it will come back. So I am not concerned, and therefore I am not putting anything into bonds right now. If we didn't have year income, though, I think I would have about a year's worth of spending in cash just so we could ride out a rough spot. And that's just what we feel comfortable with. There's other ways to deal with this, but I, I think the main thing in here is he said, he talks about having a vi- very high allocation of stocks, and I think the answer to it is just not to have a very high allocation of stocks after you don't have income anymore. Well, but what percentage would you go into bonds, and when would you start? Uh, well, I'd probably move it before the income ceased and maybe a year's worth of spending and maybe a high-yield cash savings account. I don't know about bonds. I've And I'm not saying I don't know if we should invest in them. It's just I don't really know about them. I've never studied them in my Mm. entire life. But the whole 4% rule article that you mentioned uh, talks about the 60-40 allocation. So that dude's definitely allocating for bonds. But I know usually over the very long term, 100% stock allocation will outperform that. We'll put a – go Curry Cracker wrote about this. I'll put a link to that in here. What what do you think, Doug? Like if you – couldn't make any more money like after today. You're forbidden. You can't have any more income besides what's in your portfolio. Would you convert some to cash or bonds? Or maybe you'll already have that. I know you've got a cash buffer. Would you increase that? What would change, I guess? So we are more conservative and like less risk tolerant. I'm a lot more risk um, tolerant, but Elizabeth is not. So we do have a a cash buffer like we've talked about in the past. So we we would probably keep it where it's at because we could like weather the storm and and not draw down as much. So that would that would feel uh better for our um cumulative risk tolerance, right? Cuz like you said you have to think about your partner and we have to compromise on that. We have I think maybe like 12% uh in bonds and I think, I mean, I, I don't look at my portfolio too often, but I was going to say, I'm pretty sure 
the bonds have not been the same kind of uh, ballast that they have been in the past. And they went down too. Like in, in March of 2020, like everything went down, right? So it was anomaly, a little bit weird. But to answer your question, like at this point in time, I would probably um, go to a high yield savings account because they're paying what, like four or 5%, right? Yep. So that covers it, right? So just put it there. You could put a big chunk. You're getting four or 5%, which is awesome. And that would be, that would be enough. And I encourage um, some investigation in like a bond ladder, which I don't necessarily believe in, but that is a technique where people will move money into uh bonds leading up to retirement and then roll them out so that you do have that buffer. It could be cash, it could be bonds or whatever, but it's a, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Um, I don't think I do. So as you're, say you're five years from retirement, you put a little bit more, you change your allocation from say 10% bonds to say 20% bonds or whatever. So you have, uh, or cash or whatever you want to put it in. And then as you are moving away, after you retire, you start rolling it back into um, stocks okay. away from bonds. Okay. So that's the way people like square it up in a very like technical way. One more thing I want to add to this is uh, Carl and I have the ability to live on very little. We can cut a lot of things out of our lives that we wouldn't miss and have annual expenses of thirty or $40,000 a year. At that level, it's really easy to get a job that can pay you about thirty or $40,000 a year, a pretty low intensity job. So if we were both retired and the stock market crashed such that we didn't want to take any money out of the market, the real estate market would dry up too, so I wouldn't be getting any real estate deals. Um, getting a job at a Starbucks or a McDonald's or you know Carl's favorite Taco Bell could bring in enough money that we would be able to live off of that so that if we didn't have the cash cushion so that we wouldn't have to pull money out of our stocks at the worst time that it could be so you wouldn't have to go back and get a high stress computer job um this is assuming that I had already left my high paying bigger pockets job so um you know, what are your expenses? Do you know your expenses? Um, have you tracked them? What What's the variables in your expenses? Uh, when we were tracking our expenses, some people were making fun of how many uh, different categories we had. But the reason that we had so many different categories is because I know that I can cut this category out completely and not miss it at all. But that's, uh, you know, that's a chunk of my budget. And I can cut out this. I can cut out travel. If I don't have any money, I'm certainly not going to go traveling anywhere. Um, or like Bryce and Christie, they have the ability to do geographic arbitrage. They live in Canada, which is a higher cost of living area. They can go travel to Southeast Asia, which is a much lower cost of living area and spend far less for a year if the market goes to garbage. Okay, let's get to our next question. And I swear I did not write this one. Hmm. Uh, I'm curious. Oh, oh, wait, I got wrong question. I would love to know what FI events any of you will be attending in 2024. I met Carl and Doug at Camp FI Rocky Mountain week one this year, and they were pretty great all around. Nice. Yeah. And from what I've heard so far, Mindy is pretty awesome too. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, so, I did write this article, this one. <laughs> nice. So we are going to go to Economy and Campfire, Rocky Mountain, Week 1, and probably FinCon. Do we have anything else on the schedule? Nope, that's it. That's all. That's a lot, though. Yeah. That's it, a lot. And if people are here, they can always look us up in Northern Colorado. I'll put a link to the meetup group. You can see what events are going on at the HQ. We always have events open to the public. Hmm. Although I can't think of any, are we having a, are we having the eggnog lube party? I, I can't, I'm not going I to that. <laughs> I thought you were organizing it. <laughs> you thought wrong. Okay. Um, so. And I am also going to the Bigger Pockets conference. I don't know that that's a FI event though. It's more of a real estate event. Cool. We'll put links to all of those in the show notes. Uh, next one is from Lori. I'm curious how Carl and Mindy took kids into consideration with their fine number. <laughs> we didn't. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the answer. <laughs> Did you include any college funding? I don't hear this talked about often. I'm not a blind advocate for college education, considering the cost and the ability to make plenty of money without a degree. But I also would like to help my kids if they choose to go. How did you guys handle this? Well, we are the poster children for what not to do when funding your kid's college. Um we did not take them into consideration when we decided what our fine number would be. Um, we, of course, we will provide for our children, and we didn't. We haven't saved anything for their college, which makes us, I guess, horrible five people. Um, if you have to choose between saving for retirement and saving for a college education fund your retirement first because you can take out loans for college education and you cannot take out loans for your retirement. Um, but if you have the opportunity to do both, I think we had been operating under misinformation for a long time about a 529 plan. And you know, you always think you have more time to save for college than you do. But we've been really fortunate. We have two smart kids we are encouraging them to apply for scholarships and really take into consideration the cost of college. One of our children is looking at a college that costs $80,000 a year and just explaining how much it'll cost, how long it'll take to pay off the college if she doesn't get scholarships and all of that, I think has started to make her rethink her decision. And I'd back up a second and say it's not that we didn't save. I just didn't like some of the rules around a 529 plan. So I just decided, like, we didn't go blow that money on stupid things. We just invested it into our own account. So we still have the ability to help them out as much or as little as we want. It's just not in a formal 529 plan. And I'm sure there's some trade-offs to that. We might not have all the the tax savings and all that kind of stuff, but but I'm fine with it. Um yeah, yeah, that's a better way to phrase that. Edit out all my stuff and <laughs> keep what he said in. What would you recommend for someone that was in y'all's position? Like if you could go back and tell yourself and you had whatever, 20 years to think about it. Is there any, any quick, we're coming up towards the end. So we don't want to have, we potentially could do a full episode. But if someone's just like, hey, how should I allocate it? How should I take um, this into account with my fine number? I would go to Robert Farrington's site, thecollegeinvestor.com, and uh, Travis Hornsby's site, studentloanplanner.com, and read what they have to say. I am I didn't have student loans. Um, Carl did, but we paid them off so long ago that it's uh, 
the current rules don't apply. Our experience doesn't apply to the current rules. Um, go to go to both of those websites and see what they have to say about these topics because there's some really great advice out there. I just haven't done my research. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's it just yeah. one real quick topic, Doug. Someone actually asked another question, which I put in here because I think we can make a whole episode of it. This guy said, like, I'm 25 and I really don't know what to do with my life. Do you have any ideas? And I came up with a bunch of them and I wasn't thinking of it from this context, but maybe a third of them involved going to college. So I think that whole thing needs to be rethought too. Like when I was growing up, my mom was always like, you're going to go to college, you're going to go to college. And and back then, it was different. You could make a lot more money by going to college. But now, I think if if money is your core focus, you can do a lot better doing other things. And money shouldn't be the core focus. You need to have work that you love and all that. But I think there's lots of ways to do that without going to college. So I would have that conversation as well. College should not be the beginning and end to life post-high school. All right, and let's wrap it up here with Laura's question. What's a good way to make new social connections and friends after retirement? The difficulty with aiming to retire so young is that you feel disconnected from most of the social sphere. So how can someone approach early FI while building a social network that will support this lifestyle? So Mindy had a really good answer. We were talking on the way here. What was your answer? It was three words long. Move to Longmont. (laughs) I'll be your agent so we'll be best friends already and then you have a ready-made sphere of people who understand where you're coming from you don't have to explain all this stuff they're not going to be like why'd you why'd you retire at 40 Um, we already know so yeah move to Longmont you can email me Mindy at biggerpockets.com and I will hook you up and I don't think you necessarily have to move to Longmont although it is a good idea but put yourself in environments where there's people with similar values and maybe it's kind of hard to find five people unless you do move to Longmont but if you're an outdoors person go find a hiking club if you happen to be near here join our meetup group we always have meetups with lots of interesting people uh, we've talked about this before the choose five groups are in most major cities and sometimes there's even multiple of them in a city for different parts so I'd probably, if you can't move to Longmont, which is our number one uh, tip, join the local Choose Five group and find a meetup. And sometimes they, they crap out, they're not that popular, but I know our friends in St. Louis have resurrected theirs and I think they're doing pretty well with mm-hmm. it now. And I, I would say when you travel, one thing we do is look up the Choose Five groups too. And if they've got something interesting going on, sometimes we'll show up to those. Yeah. There's also a, if you do like to travel, there's a group called Go With Less. That's Amy and Tim's group. It's a bunch of people who may or may not know about FI, but they're all retired or most re- mostly retired. And they just travel a lot. Uh, lots of geographic arbitrage, lots of travel tips, lots of like how to get from here to there, great things to do in each city. Um, and that's another group of people that you don't have to explain your frugal weirdness too because they're all frugal weirdos too yeah and one final thing maybe go to one of the events there's campfires all over the country there's economy in cincinnati and even if you don't live near cincinnati you'll meet people who have traveled there from your own neck of the woods yep you guys covered almost everything i think the in-person events are huge especially if you don't know um, or there's not many meetup groups going on around you or uh, like choose FI groups or anything like that. And the other, I'll, I'll give an outlandish one, but uh, I, I'm a I'm a big fan of podcasting. 
And if you were like, hey, I'm going to start a podcast and interview people in this space, you would meet a ton of folks. And I found for me personally, I'm, I'm slightly introverted, I would say, but I can operate just fine, like interviewing people, chatting with friends and just having like some connections online. And that'll, that'll serve me pretty well. That said, you know, moving here to Longmont was uh, game changing. So uh, while that's a pretty tough one to do, like, uh, it's really awesome here. So it's not that tough. We do have houses for sale. <laughs> yeah. There's houses for sale. Cool. I think that's it for today. Carl, do you have anything else? I think that's it. All right. So thanks to uh, Ghost Beds for hooking us up and sponsoring. Do check it out. Mindy, where should people find you? I am all over the internet. My internet handle is Mindy at BP. So that's M-I-N-D-Y-A-T-B-P on Twitter. I'm starting to get back into Instagram a little bit, um, but it's better on Twitter. Or you can email me, Mindy at BiggerPockets.com. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Doug. I love coming in here and talking about everything but bidets. Thanks for listening to the show. That was the Mile High Five podcast, and I'm Doug Cunnington the balder host and carl jensen is the cool sexy one if you dig the show please do three things for us number one tell a friend a family member an enemy about the show we really don't care who you tell maybe forward them a specific show that you know that they will like it's the single most helpful thing that you can do to spread the word it's like giving us a virtual high five and uh, actually we don't give high fives in in person so the virtual kind's pretty good and more importantly your friend or family member or even your enemy will appreciate the fact that you were thinking of them number two make sure you're following or subscribed on your podcast app apple podcast spotify overcast youtube whatever you're using and that way you won't miss a show and number three please leave us a rating and review we read them on the show occasionally and you might hear yours out there on an upcoming episode quick disclaimer this show is not financial or legal advice i'd actually be surprised if it sounded like it it's really just for entertainment and that's at least what we're hoping for but seriously get advice from professionals carl and i are just two guys with microphones that sit in my basement and talk so we'll catch y'all next week Carl, I haven't seen you in a couple days. You went to Guns N' Roses? That is correct. This past Saturday, uh, on my fourth attempt, I finally got to see the band play live. How was it? It was great. They played for like three hours and 15 minutes, and I was a little bit worried. They're old. I was looking them up. Most of them are in their 60s, but they brought it. They did a good job. If there was any negative... I would say that the crowd is of equal age and there just wasn't a ton of energy. Like uh, people got into the big songs like Sweet Child of Mine, Paradise City, but when they had the deeper cuts, like and not even that deep, like It's So Easy, Night Train, do you know these songs, Doug? Right, yeah. They're, they're, yeah, they're like classics to the fan and everyone just kind of stood there. I'm like banging my head and I, I might've been the only one doing that. Yeah. And Mindy, did you go? I did not. I was never really big. Guns okay. N' Roses fan. Our daughter went and she had a great time. I would like to circle back to the average age of the audience. I think that Carl is not giving enough credit to 60-year-olds being there at a hard rock concert um, on a Friday night at 
eight o'clock. It started at eight o'clock. I mean, all everything, every single thing about this concert was like, no. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, I I was a pretty big fan, and we we talked about it a bunch when we were in Breckenridge. There were available tickets. I could have gone, but I was like, ah, it's kind of far, and I usually go to bed pretty early. You're not like, even sixty. No, I'm not. I'm not even sixty. <laughs> And yeah, so there were like, I, I literally could have gone and the tickets were like reasonable. I wouldn't have been able to sit with you guys, but I think it was like 70 or 80 bucks, right? You put on fees or whatever, it probably would have been like 500 or whatever the fuck they do now. But um, yeah, it's great. It's crazy. And that's a long time to play, right? Yeah, super long time. I don't know. They're probably on pumped up on some kind of drugs to allegedly. Stay. Yeah. Well, the weird thing was they had this little tent set up on the side of the stage and I was there with another friend and he turns over to me and the stage, the this tent contraption was black so you could hardly see it. He's like, what's up with the tent? I'm like, oh, I didn't even see that. And in between probably every song, maybe every other song, Axel would run in there for a minute or two or when there was a solo, he would disappear into this secret tent. So maybe they had amphet- amphetamines or some other kind of drug in there to prop them up i know what they had there what they had the drug called oh no i was gonna say h2o it's o2 (laughs) they had h2o and o2 in that in that uh tent so he did see them at in denver the mile high city and people come here and they can't breathe so i would imagine a 60 year old who uh is he in the best shape of his life would you say no, but he looks better than he has in the past. That's not a ringing endorsement for his <laughs> shape. I would I would venture a guess that a 60-year-old, 60-year-old plus man who is not used to living in Denver, prancing around on stage. He wasn't just standing around, right? He was dancing around and doing all of his Axl Rose stuff. Yeah, yeah. They were yeah. jumping in. Yeah, I would imagine he needed a hit of oxygen every um, other song. Mm-hmm. I think they've probably all had hard lives, too. I mean, Guns N' Roses. It's a miracle none of them are dead. Yeah, yeah. It is a miracle none of them are dead. Um, I see, I watch football, and the football stadium for Denver is conveniently like across the street, across the expressway from where this concert was. And you see football players who are in the prime of their lives sitting on the sidelines sucking oxygen <laughs> when uh, after a big run. So I would imagine that that was an oxygen tent. That's what I'm going to say. Axel, I'm sticking up for you, bud. He is a, he's a listener. Yeah. yeah. Funny, funny enough, he emailed us. Uh, Carl, so any highlight from the concert, big song, and anything specific where you're like, wow, that was pretty amazing? Um, I would say my two favorite songs were Rocket Queen, which is the closing track from Appetite for Destruction, and Coma, which is this uh, weird, super long, kind of depressing song from Use Your Illusion 1. I'm trying to think if there were any big omissions. Um, they did not play Don't Cry, which I thought was one of their bigger hits, but mm-hmm. that, that got left out. And I would have liked to hear Locomotive and maybe uh, f- 14 years they did not play those either. Okay. I think I had dementia. I don't remember the songs at the end of the concert. I can't remember them multiple days afterwards. I'm impressed. Yeah, that's pretty good. And was was Slash pretty impressive? Oh, Slash was great. That was probably one of the highlights, too. He had a... There's a song called Double Talk and Jive. Are you familiar with that one, Doug? I don't remember. Okay, so it's from Use Your Illusion 1, and the song closes out with this pretty cool like Spanish guitar, like acoustic thing. So they gave him a solo at the end of that, but instead he did an electric kind of version of it, and it, it was excellent. And then he had another super long solo, and I know 
you saw him with Miles Kennedy, so you probably saw him maybe show off a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. It was, there were plenty of extended solos and I, I can't, I don't, I don't know if they were like part of the song or they like let him go for whatever, a few minutes here or there. Um, and now I'm trying to remember the specific, the specific show, but yeah, yeah, it's pretty amazing. And with, um, you know, Miles Kennedy, the band is not as well known. The songs aren't as well known. So Slash is like the big marquee name. So they let him play and jam out a little bit more. Yeah. Really cool. Well, I'm glad you got to see them on the fourth attempt. Yes. The fourth attempt. The first three were canceled due to potential riots, potential arrests. And I forgot what the other one was. Oh, maybe they didn't sell enough tickets. So Axel bailed on the show. Yeah. Four times is a charm.